Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I'm your host, Talia Murdoch, and would like to begin by acknowledging that we are on the land of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, where this podcast is recorded. Today, I wanted to release a really interesting interview I did with Thomas Wisdom and Lily Ross. They manage a horse farm in Oregon in the context of legalized cannabis. They have experienced some changes to their hay supply, and we discuss this and how legalized cannabis impacts their supply. The reason I wanted to release this episode now is it has been officially one year since cannabis was legalized in Canada, and I wanted to sort of see where things were at. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of interesting things to report on the Canadian front. Overall, things seem to have been pretty positive. Most of the complaints have been around the difficulty in getting licenses, which I discussed a little bit when I looked at what had happened three months on. There are still a lot of people with previous convictions that are yet to be exempted. A lot of the negative expectations around road use and use of machineries is also hard to detect because deterrence is still in its early development and a lot of the things like oral fluid devices, which are the equivalent of alcohol breathalyzers, aren't really in use. Actually, detecting cannabis is a longer process. So in BC, for example, not a single person has been charged with using cannabis while driving. One interesting sort of thing I found was about accessibility, particularly here in British Columbia. So anyone who is from the area knows that cannabis has been very accessible for quite a few years now. There have been dispensaries that you could go to and access weed that were legal on the city level or the provincial level, just not the federal level. And it wasn't really something that the federal government and law enforcement wanted to focus on because their resources could be best used in other places. Since legalization, a number of those dispensaries have been forced to close because they couldn't either afford their licensing or it was just too hard for them or they were enforced to do so and so marijuana has become less accessible to regular users as it has been in the past this has been quite a problem for many medical marijuana users because the legal product is more expensive you have to buy it online it's harder for them to actually get out to to get the quote-unquote legal weed now or their dispensaries are just no longer available that they used to go and buy their product from, which is very unfortunate. So a lot of dispensaries are just staying open because they want to help the people who rely on this product, especially in the medical sense, but they are putting themselves at risk of getting significant fines and penalties, and then the consumers are being left with limited alternatives. But there isn't a whole lot of detailed information I could find about this, so... I'm hoping when I do a status update next year, there is a little bit more going on. In terms of the social implications, about 10% of cannabis consumers consume about two-thirds of the product that's available, which is aligned with alcohol. So we now know heavy users statistically account for most of the consumption. Economically, it's been estimated that the new cannabis industry has contributed about $8.26 billion to Canada's economy and accounted for over 9,000 jobs, which is fantastic. But the sector has had its share of shortfalls, some of that including the slow rollout of pot stores and 
some companies have had some controversy, but you can look that up on your own account. Stocks are low, but again, as you would know by now, I'm not overly interested in that sort of stuff. I guess in the grand scheme of things, one year is a really short space of time to be able to analyze what has happened with a brand new industry, especially one that has had its ups and downs as it's been rolling out. And it's just not really that long a time to actually collect really significant data that would point to certain social impacts. So hopefully as time goes on, this data keeps to roll in and we can actually get a better understanding of what a legal cannabis market has done to the country. So in light of all of that, I am really happy to share this interview with you. It was incredibly interesting. And as time goes on, I'm sure that Canada will probably have some similar experiences, particularly given that Manitoba and Saskatchewan are really strong growing areas for legal cannabis now. And a lot of food agriculture happens in this area. So who knows if we'll be experiencing the same thing. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's balanced a bit better. But I do hope you enjoy listening to Thomas and Lily. So let's go firstly, if you could tell us about your farm and then why this sort of impacts you, like why it's relevant to be talking about horse farming in the context of cannabis and hemp. We moved to Oregon and we started a small horse farm here where we do private boarding. So we only have about um, 10 horses on the property maximum at a time. Um and this means that we need approximately 50 tons of hay a year. So we buy hay for the year, actually just about this time of year. The first cutting is usually in June and, and right about now folks are doing the second and sometimes there's a third cutting of hay. Um, and at this time we look around and we look at different hay analyses because we're um, really aware of nutrition for our horses because some of our horses need particular hay. Okay. Um, and once we get that information, we buy it. Um, this is our second year doing this up in this area. We were in Colorado before that. And before that, we were in New York. So it was interesting because even in Colorado, we also heard a lot of talk about the impact of legalized marijuana and um, sort of the growth of industrial hemp and the impact on, on hay prices. Um, here, we really saw it firsthand because we were we started buying hay for ourselves. Um, in Colorado, I was boarding my horse or my horses, I should say. So hay purchasing was 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 done by the barn owners there. But this year, I don't know if I would say legalized marijuana, like uh, marijuana with THC. I'm not sure as much of the impact of that um, on the hay, hay market as the hemp. It, yeah, it's really it's really more industrial hemp and it's industrial hemp cultivation that is impacting it. Um, you know, the 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 weed market is a bit different. It's obviously related in the farm bill with legalization of um, or or kind of deregulation of hemp. Industrial yeah. hemp has changed that in the U.S. Um, but the the weed market, I don't think, had as much of a or the THC marijuana market didn't have as much of an impact. It's really the industrial hemp and how much things like CBD and just hemp in general has really almost exploded has, has really been what's driving the um, kind of impact on hay. And that's mostly because um, marijuana that has THC is generally grown indoors in this area. People, people do grow it outside. I should, I shouldn't say that, but um, largely uh, those operations that are growing 
uh, marijuana with THC are growing indoors. And the hemp fields that are outdoors for industrial hemp, um, there's a, there is some competition or there's an allure for hair, hay farmers here because industrial hemp is a much sturdier plant. Um, it doesn't require, it's not as sensitive as hay. Um, it requires much less water. And there are industrial hemp companies coming in and offering hay farmers who have grown and sold hay here in the area for, for decades, um, pretty substantial sums of money to just allow them to use their land and their water to grow industrial hemp. Oh, wow. So this is limiting the, the amount of area that there is for the hay that they had been growing. Yeah, I guess um, with the whole, the, the connection I sort of saw um, between legalizing marijuana and then having an impact on like agriculture land use is because hemp plants used to be classified in the same way as yeah. a marijuana THC plant. And now that, even though it's not the same thing, um, and now that, you know, marijuana is legal, you can just grow hemp because it's not restricted in the same way anymore. And you don't have to go through as many like processes to actually be able yeah. to grow it because it's just yeah, legal. That now. was the big thing with the farm bill um, in the U.S. that changed that. And with that, that was when CBD, I mean, CBD was exploding before that. But then afterwards, it just absolutely went, you know, stratospheric um, and you know, I noticed here definitely a huge change from last year to this year of just driving, you know, down highways and driving down roads and seeing signs, you know, saying, you know, different hemp farms or different CBD farms and just being like, oh, well, that was a hay field last year and now it's a hemp field. Um, it, you know, it's it's been notice, noticeable um, much more this year, the change. It's not like it was kind of a, a onesie or twosie here and there thing. I mean, it was a pretty dramatic difference. Oh, really? Like it all just sort of happened at the same time? Yeah. I mean, gr this growing season, it really just kind of happened where um, there's a couple of fields I can think of in particular, um, like when we drive to the airport that I, I just noticed them a couple of days ago. And I noticed a sign that's like, oh, that sign that says, you know, something industrial hemp cultivation definitely wasn't there um you know last growing season but it's there now yeah and oh that field because i remember you know something about it was definitely a hay field and it's now a hemp field That's yeah and i think one of the big things that i noticed this year and there was talk of it last year when we first moved here but it was a little tricky because i didn't have the the prices from the year before to compare it to we had purchased hay from the year before as cutting but it was later in the season um, is the prices of hay this year for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons cited by farmers is the rise of industrial hemp and the rise of, um, well, hemp in general. They talk about hemp in general, and they, sometimes people mix the two together. Um, some folks are more informed than others about what different hay farmers have decided to grow. But like, for example, one of the hay farmers that we bought hay from late in the season last year sent out a message at the beginning of the year this year to say that he had um, allocated a certain number of acreage from his farm to growing hemp so that he would have less available um, just to make his um, customers aware. Um, and hay has sold out this year at a remarkably fast rate um, at, in comparison to last year. Last year, um, because a lot of us around here uh, buy hay that has been analyzed, mm -hmm. um, 
we have to wait till after hay is cut and baled. And then usually it takes about a week for the analysis to come back with the nutritional information. Um, a lot of hay farmers, even some of the very large ones, um, like the ones I count on for backup, um, sold out of hay before the analyses were even back this year. Um, and the starting prices of hay were about 20 to $30 more a ton. Wow. That's a, that's a massive increase, especially if you're buying like 50 tons a year. Um, yeah. And we're, I mean, that's a, in all honesty, that's a pretty small amount. I mean, there's yeah. farms out here that have dozens of horses. You know, we have nine and we're feeding about 50 tons a year. I mean, imagine, imagine an operation that has 25 horses or 30 horses and the amount of hay that they have to go through. Now, granted, the larger you get, some of those people are able to produce their own. And so they'll have feedlots where they can produce their own hay, but that's not necessarily always the case. And so um, we're, we're in very much probably a, a very easy situation in a lot of ways because we're not buying so much hay that it's, it's just insanely prohibitive, but, um, but we are large enough that, that price increase, you know, does directly impact, you know, being like, wow, it's going to cost, you know, X more dollars this year than last year, which, which does directly impact us. Yeah. Um, so do you know where, cause you said that there are these big kind of like industrial hemp companies coming in just saying, you know, grow, let us use your land. Do you know where they're yeah. from? Are they American companies or are they from That's outside? a really That's good a, yeah. question. Um, I, and it's, some of this is tricky because the information that you get from different hay farmers, um, some of it I think is more firsthand and some of it is more hearsay. So I want to be really careful about yeah. uh, what I say. What I say is sort of factual. Yeah. Um, I was told by a hay, by someone who I talk to about buying hay each year that, and he helps connect me with some of the smaller growers. Cause we actually deal with sometimes two, three or four hay growers to get the amount of hay that we need. Um, Cause I like to get a variety that he was personally offered $1,500 an acre um, to use the land to grow hemp. What's really interesting is that um, a number of farms in uh, a little, just a little bit north of us um, who started growing hemp instead of hay experienced a little bit of a crisis this growing season because we had a very late season hailstorm and um, there was about six inches of hail on the ground and that greatly impacted the hemp crop. I'm not sure if the, if the plants came back, um, but these hay farmers who did sort of switch over to, there was a, there was a lot of discussion about whether or not um, the sensitivity to, to, because like they may or may not have lost all of their product. The people who had guaranteed them money may or may not pay, like that, that has, that's yet to be determined. Mm. Um, but there is a lot of discussion among hay farmers about whether this is a good idea, whether they should be switching over. I mean, it's certainly easier if you, if you think about all the work that goes into growing, taking care of, and then baling and selling hay versus letting someone else do all the work and essentially giving you, um, you know, paying you to use that to use that space. Yeah, so to, so to be clear that $1,500, when they say $1,500 per acre, they're basically saying it's a lease of sorts that they'll yeah. be like, hey, we will give you $1,500 an acre and we will do everything. We just want the use of your land. And so it's a way for these farmers to kind of almost gain some passive income through the use of their land for hemp. So 
they don't have to put in the hours, they don't have to put in the labor, they don't have to um, use their own equipment. Um, they're basically just collecting a check. And at least, and again, being very clear, like this is not firsthand knowledge that we have heard. This is what we have been told. Um, and so we don't know, you know, the exact specifics of exactly what's going on. That's just kind of what we have heard um, from different farmers. Yeah, it can be really hard finding that sort of information as well. Like I work um, for the Farmers Markets Association and it's, there's just so much gossip and stuff. So you never know yeah. like what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of political things. And I mean, it's it's you have totally. to everything that you hear, even read. It's just there's a lot of politically charged stuff because people are upset that they can't get hay. And I mean, it's just so it's being very, very kind of. Um, uh, specific with how you listen to the things that you hear and, and being able to read between the lines and, and kind of see like, just because this person said one thing doesn't necessarily mean that that's gospel. You know, it could be that it's um, there's, there's kind of slivers of truth to it, but the, the one thing that is definite is, is hay prices have increased. Like there's, there's a direct increase from last year to this year that seems to be very much outpacing, you know, normal inflationary growth or normal inflation um and that seems very directly correlated with just the increase that we have seen of industrial hemp cultivation in the area so that's definitely not hearsay i mean the hay is costing us more money this year than it did last year yeah yeah um, and the reasons like i said the reasons for that also can ever impacted by changes in like water supply and if you talk to some of the farmers here and it's interesting because because there is sort of a i don't want to say stigma but people have strong feelings about whether um, weed should be grown, whether, and, and some people don't really differentiate between marijuana plants that have THC or cannabis, I should say, cannabis that has THC and cannabis that doesn't have THC. So there is sort of a general distaste um, from a lot of farmers of like that, this, you know, this is not, this is not something that should be happening and so forth. So there is a lot of negativity and um, that sometimes breeds untruths that go along with that. Um, they, another recent shift that a lot of farmers have suggested there is a connection to this change in sort of market is that the water company cut back water um, to 75% in some regions for some of these hay growers. And it was ostensibly because of a, an endangered frog, but there's a lot of discussion that um, because industrial hemp requires so much less water that there's some sort of like just there are discussions going on with the water companies and and with these hemp growers and there's a lot of fear and and perhaps paranoia on the on the parts of some growers about this um, because they see a shift in what people are growing um, so that's again that's talk that you hear when you're when you're talking to your farmers but as Tommy was saying like the biggest difference you can see is a change in price which which people do attribute to the fact that fewer people are growing hay. Yeah. And just in our small operation with the five, let's say the six hay growers that I've talked to this year, one out of those six has already made the decision to dedicate a, a, a fraction of their growing property to growing hemp this year instead of growing hay. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, looking at how much hemp seed was planted in Oregon. Mm -hmm. So last year, it was 7,000 acres. And this year, it's about 50,000 acres. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is nuts. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very classic supply and demand, right? And, you know, I mean, I think the thought is eventually it, the, the market will take over and it'll, it'll correct. Right. And it's hopefully that there'll be, um, Hey, prices will get so high that people will stop buying it. The, the, the supply will, um, or you'll have a glut of supply. The price will have to go down and that will cause people to go back to, Hey, I mean, it's, you know, the idea, the classic supply and demand, but it's, um, for now it's tough because there's a lot of people that, you know, a few thousand dollar increase every year or, or in one year on what they're buying for hay can can be like a very tough situation it can yeah. put them in a very tough spot of well do i maintain my equipment that i use to do this or do i buy the hay that i need to buy yeah exactly and, you know, i think that's kind of one of the things where there's breeding a lot of i don't want to say resentment but maybe breeding a lot of emotion behind it because people it's it's you know farmers are always living on narrow margins and um you know and it's it's tough because you can't necessarily tell them that they can't go take this money that's being offered but then the trickle down of it is the people that are using it are living on close margins as well and it's it's i mean it's it's difficult on all levels yeah totally um i think like this is this is a pretty good example of when you make these kind of big huge reforms across an entire industry you can't just leave it to supply and demand like um I do. Do you know if there was anything that the government, like state or federal, did to address these things, or did they just sort of like legislate and go for it? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know that um, Oregon, in general, is producing on the 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 cannabis with THC. Um, so the marijuana market is producing orders of magnitude more pot than what the state can really consume yeah and i don't know the exact statistics so i won't say it but it's some ridiculous number of pounds of weed per year that each adult resident would have to smoke to be able to go through as much weed that's being cultivated in the state and it's just completely unrealistic that that's going to happen and so it's you know being driven onto a gray market or it's something's happening to it Mm -hmm. um and it seems I haven't seen anything in the local news um, related to the the hay or the the um, the, the industrial hemp cultivation. Um, it may be something that the government really hasn't seen, and they really haven't decided to take action on it. And honestly, by the time they do, it might just be a little bit too late. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you've seen any anything related to the government stepping in or having any impact input on it. You know, I haven't really followed that part of it um, just because I look at it as far as how things impact, you know, what we're doing here. I think what's interesting about our area is um, the population of people who own and care for horses is really, really high. I don't I don't know exactly, but I think there's something about the saturation of horse owners in this particular area. So the price of hay um, does impact a lot of people here. Horse ownership is already a very sort of expensive thing. Um, and this is an area where people in all economic levels own horses. So some are much more affected by these changes than others. Um, but it's definitely something that's being talked about throughout the horse community. I know a lot of the local horse rescues have been affected by this because, um, you know, they're, they operate on small margins and oh, they yeah. operate on sort of donations and there just isn't the amount 
of hay being grown locally to sustain the local population and need. And it's not just horses. I mean, it's cattle too. There's a lot of people here who raise cattle. Um, and I certainly can't speak to the price of, of hay that's been raised for cattle, but I just, I know that our part of the market has greatly affected um, by that and some other horses. And, and to be clear, there's a difference between um, cow hay and horse hay. So the, the hay that you will feed cows um, is, it's not different, but it's um, like the hay that you feed horses, like Lily said earlier, is tested for the nutritional content of it. For um, some people, yeah. For some people, because like you said, different horses require different things. Cows can kind of take different hay that's not necessarily tested. Um, so they're not the exact, you're not necessarily purchasing cow hay from the same people that you'd be purchasing horse hay from. But um, it's it's just not, they're not the same thing. Just to yeah, be clear, the quality it's the, and the quality and the cost. Cow hay is a little bit less expensive, and, and it's sold in sort of different ways. But yeah, totally. And it would also depend on like what sort of you know, like why why are you raising cattle? Are you trying to make this like nice organic dairy product, or is it? Yeah. Are you selling right. beef like cheap cuts of beef? Or um, yeah, sure. that was like some of the stuff I looked at today was talking about the different types of hay that you can get and this is what would happen to price for premium hay and then the lower quality stuff so i think it seems to be resonating kind of everywhere um i'd be interested to know like what is are there any alternatives to where you can buy it from at the moment well so there are people who are bringing hay in from other regions um in the state uh, because there has been a lack of hay here and because there are so many horses here. So there is hay that, um, there are some hay companies here who have different areas like in the valley and they're bringing hay that's not grown in central Oregon into the area to be sold. Um, the, the further you have to go to get hay, the more expensive it is. I was talking, our neighbor across the street has friends in Alaska who have horses, uh, uh, hay in Alaska is about $700 a ton. Okay. <laughs> um, just to give a little bit of a comparison here, it's usually, well, it can range anywhere from about 180 to, I've seen it as high as uh, 275 a ton this season. Um, so it, it just all depends on um, availability and and how, you know, if, if, if it has to be transported and delivered, that's an added cost. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But they certainly can't eat hay and eat hemp, which is something that has been floated. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't eat it, okay? <laughs> no, they can't. That no, would be can't. ideal if there was some sort of like byproduct to making CBD that horses could eat. Then every, well, they everyone do would actually. Win. It's interesting you say that. Um, so CBD has been um, for I, I don't know exactly how long now, but it's pretty much in the mainstream market in the veterinary world. It's definitely being marketed as a supplement for horses to deal with things like arthritis and lameness and inflammatory response. Um, we actually have given our horses CBD that's in pelleted form, which is a byproduct of the CBD that um, they use to create the oil. So there's mm-hmm. like a meal that's left over afterwards that is used and then sold again, actually for, for a pretty high cost um, to be used as a supplement for horses and for dogs as well. But that's a supplement, not a, they're not getting like, calories from that right. it's to supplement the calories that they're it's getting. the C- yeah it's the cbd it has nothing to do with um caloric it's not forage yeah it's just yeah we we were looking after my boss's chihuahua recently and we fell down the stairs and so i got her some like little doggy cbd 
Yep. Because she was just freaking out. And, just yeah. gotta even them out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah you have exactly. to give a little more when the animal's like 15. When it's a now. horse, though, exactly, <laughs> compared to a chihuahua. Yeah, no, I'm sure. That seems manageable. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, well, this has been super interesting. Is there anything else that you think people should know? Or I guess given like there was some CEO or some owner of some company talking about wanting to sell 150,000 acres for planting hemp in Oregon by next year and then 500,000 by 2021. Can you see anything changing to like improve the situation or yeah what is what does it mean like longer term do you think i think i think that balance is going to be really important you know it's hard to it's hard to say that folks who have the opportunity to make money in the agricultural business and these are really hardworking people you know farmers are (laughs) working hard and they're um there are a lot of uh I don't know, challenges that they face to begin with. So it's hard to, um, it's hard to think about telling them that they shouldn't take advantage of the opportunity to make money in this way. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. But I think that balance is going to be important. I think that, I think that some of the hay farmers, especially those who are growing high quality hay and, um, for horses are going to end up making a lot of money off of the hay they have just because they will be able to charge more um, because there's a limited supply and because people are going to be afraid. I think that the biggest change that I've seen that I can speak to as fact <laughs> is a converse, in conversations with other people who are buying hay for horses, there's a lot of anxiety about making sure to get it quickly and to make sure that they get the hay for the year. Um, and it's a, it's a, that's a big shift from last year. And I think that there definitely are people who are taking advantage of that anxiety and raising their prices. And then I think there are also folks who seeing the opportunity to charge more for something because there is such demand are going to take advantage of that as well. And I don't know if you can really blame them to do that for doing that. Like that's the, that's the capitalist approach to things. Right. So but there may be some challenges that we face before the market sort of self-corrects and balances. And it turns out that people can grow um, both in manageable ways and, and make money. And, and yeah. that, that would be the hope, I think. And the hope would also be that people who are in charge of making decisions about this are keeping an eye on that and trying to prevent it. I know there's a lot more regulation required to grow um cannabis with THC. There was a large cattle farm, um, not large in, in uh, ranch terms, but it's about a hundred acres. And it's about, I think it's about two or three miles from us that was sold to a cannabis company from Tennessee. Um, And they purchased it and they made all the changes to turn it into a grow operation. But when they went to apply for the permits to make it a grow operation, our particular neighborhood, and we weren't here at the time, but our particular neighborhood showed up at the town meetings and they were unable to get the licenses they need. So now it is back on the market. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, even though it's all set up for as a grow operation now, it can't be used as one. So it'll be interesting to see what they use that land for, whether someone purchases it and instead decides to grow hemp or whether they go back to raising cattle, which is what it was originally used for. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. 
um, do you think, obviously you're on a smaller scale, but for farms that are maybe a bit bigger, do you see like a bit of growth in people just growing their own hay or is it just kind of yeah. really tricky? Well, it's tricky because yeah. the way that it works here is you have rights. And so um, you, you have water rights to, you have the right to the water to irrigate a certain amount of acreage. And so um, like our property, we have water rights for four acres. And so we can cultivate for, it's called beneficial use, um, four acres of our land, but we can't irrigate more than that. Yeah. So we don't have the right to irrigate more than that. And so, and water rights, the the process for moving them and buying them and getting them is, is very um, uh, bureaucratic and it's, it's very difficult and it's very expensive. So it's not, if it was that simple, if you could just say, Hey, we're just going to pay, um, yeah. that would be a very different um, situation, but unfortunately it's not as easy as just being able to do that. And I'm not sure, like I would have to look up the amount of acreage you would need. And, and I, I'm not yields change. I know this from the farmers that I've spoke to this year, like how much, how many tons of hay you get from a field mm -hmm. um, and how many cuttings you get are, that's all very dependent on the weather um, and on water. So this year, for example, I have the hay farmer that I bought most of my hay from last year, who has a pretty large operation. Um, last year, he had three cuttings of most of his orchard grass, which is just one of the types of hay that we get. This year, he only had two and the two cuttings he had had a smaller yield because he had less water to work with. Um, and because of the weather. So there are other things that affect things as well. So he's, he hasn't switched anything over to him. Um, but just because of the way things go, he had a smaller yield this year. And I think that in order to have enough land to supply hay for the number of horses we had, like I'd have to look into how much, it def we definitely couldn't grow that on our property. Yeah, four now. acres is not near, we're not, not gonna produce close. 50 tons off of four acres, like not even, not even close. Yeah, so yeah, that's not even like a realistic option. No, for people. no. I mean, during the summer, yes, our horses do go grass occasionally, but again, not to go down the rabbit hole of that, but there's whole other, um, you can only have horses on grass for so long because nutrition, it's, it's a whole other thing for our, horses, uh, for, yeah. our for our horses specifically. So it's, it's, yeah, if it was that simple, that would be the easy answer, but it's, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. Yeah. Interesting. All right, cool. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate you both coming on. Thank you so much. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. There were a few questions that came up in that interview about water rights and things like that. I think I'm going to give them their own episode because it's, number one, quite an interesting topic outside of cannabis. And that's going to require a lot more research on my half to get that out to you. So I will be doing some more research into that stuff. I just didn't get around to it for this one. So you can look forward to that in the near future. You can follow me on Twitter at Talia Murdoch or find the whole Neconomics. Are you a new DM? Are you an experienced DM? Doesn't matter. Listen to DMs of Vancouver for great DMing advice. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.